Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, this is episode 90 of the Real Estate Investing Podcast discussing land investing versus other small businesses. I'm your host, Daniel Apke, joined again by my brother and business partner, Ron Apke. Before we get into the show, let's go over a question from one of our featured members in our Discord community. Our Discord community is free. Go to landinvestingonline.com slash Discord to join where Ron and I and a ton of other successful investors are. Question today from Johnny. How many hours a week should I hire my virtual assistant to start? It's an interesting question because we just had an episode, actually episode 89, Ron, on hiring a virtual assistant. Yeah, and I don't think we touch base on the hours they can, I think ours works 36, I want to say, Dan, and they can work up to 40, I would imagine. I, I, you probably know more about this. So I think if you don't want to, if you want to deep, if you want to dive deeper into this topic and uh, go into what you kind of expect hour wise. You can hire them for whatever they, some of them will like overtime. They like money. So a lot of them like to work and they need to pay bills. So 40, 50 hours should be fine. Just talk to them. My first virtual assistant that I hired I hired for about 20 to start and she was splitting it with another company. So the risk there, I ended up actually did lose. She did quit eventually to work for that other company, but she was like a college student, I think, and just doing some customer service for me, but you can hire them part-time if you'd like uh, with the idea of going full-time. And I would stress that, but they will, if you hire them part-time, be they have to support their family through other ways. So have that discussion with them. And if you're hiring them part-time, just just know that you might lose them because they need full-time. So I personally hiring for almost full-time or full-time is best because you you can treat them like a real employee, bring them into the core values and get them, get them onboarded and, you know, full-time employed, just like everyone else in our company. I just think it's a little bit more sustainable. I have a quote that I hear a lot and I always say it too. Part-time employees give part-time results and it's because they're not dedicated to your company. They have other things going on in their head. They have other companies they're working for. They have other ways they need to make money. So part-time employees give you part-time results. That's how I'm going to end it there. But let's get into the show, Ron. Land investing versus other small businesses. And I wanted to talk about this because one, Ron, we grew up in a family of a small business entrepreneur in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we know this topic very well. We've seen it. We both worked for... Did you ever work for dad? Yeah. <laughs> Did you? I remember you wrecked the van one time, so I didn't know if that was your first and last time. He he wrecked the van or something going to get a, some subs for us when we were all working. <laughs> but so we, we both grew up under entrepreneur. So we know it very well. I see the hard times, good times, and everything in between with small business owners. And I have a lot to say on this. I'm excited for this topic, Ron. Yeah, I think comparing that aspect of it, I think that could be really good. Like service-based businesses are quite a bit different from what we do and how we operate, obviously. But yeah, there there's obviously significant differences from this is why we're in land, guys. Like there's not a re that's the reason we're in land. That's why we teach people land because what land has done for us. So it might seem biased. We'll give both sides of it. But uh, yeah, let's get into it, Dan. I don't. Uh, do you want to start by talking about service-based or comparing that? Because I think that is like a significant difference. And there are some pros and cons to both, I think. But uh, yeah, you want to start there? Since that's what we grew up with. like We, we grew up with that service-based business working for it. It was a carpet cleaning water restoration business. Um, so we did a lot of manual work. You have to deal with a lot of 
you have to deal with a lot of employees, stuff like that, because every how you make money is by sending employees the jobs. Exactly. And we'll talk about uh, services similar to that, Ron. So just local business services such as local stores, local shops, gas stations, roofing companies, contractors, that type of stuff, restaurants, electricians, things like that. I feel like we can start because that's most businesses, most local businesses. Obviously, there's different financial advising companies and a lot law firms, local law firms are really big all of that, but we're going to start with different local services. And the good, the good thing about local businesses, like we're describing, if you do it right and you have your processes in place, you can scale them. And there's usually a decent amount of buyers in the market for profitable local businesses. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the biggest things that I see from a pro side of local business service businesses, there's history of selling all of those types of businesses, whether it's a roofing company, a carpet cleaning company, um, a jewelry store, whatever it is, there's a history of selling the asset. So like Daniel said, if you have your processes and it's not too reliant on you, and that's what you see with a lot of local businesses, they become, they're too reliant on the owner. And even with our business, like it's, it's difficult to get from that spot where it's not reliant on the owner doing something day to day. And that's where we're getting to. I think we're pretty close to being in that position, Daniel, where it doesn't really fully, I, we could both step out for a day and things would get done. Uh, there would just be some approvals at the end of the day that me or yourself need to do. But that's what I noticed with local businesses that can't sell or struggle to sell. It's because it's missing an operator who isn't the owner. Would you Would you agree with that, Dan? I think that's an operator. When the main operator is the owner, it becomes so much more so much more difficult to sell the asset. Exactly. You still can sell it because you still have processes as well. But the future buyer needs to know that they're coming in and have to really, really either one focus on their processes and bring in a general manager to take that role, bring in an operator. So they just know they have to adjust. You still can sell it if the owner is also operating, but it just makes it a little more difficult. And if the owner's the only one operating in the business, then you're not in a good spot. I don't think to sell it. You need people. If the owner's operating the business, you need people under the owner to sell it and good processes and things like that. But the labor run is so tough, I feel like. And and we're going to get into the main differences we see in a minute, but the labor is really tough. That's the first thing that stands out. Like hiring local labor is really tough. And today, like especially contracting business, restaurants, hiring waiters, bussers, bartenders, managing those people, roofing companies for contractors, local stores on low hourly wages. It's hard to manage and maintain the labor. I mean, for example, like I said, we worked for our dad's company and Ron went out to buy lunch one day and just completely wrecked one of the vans. So like things like that, things like that do happen. And then the owner gets a call, which was our dad at the time and talks about how his brand new vans, his brand new company trucks wrecked. And that happens like that. It's just things that you deal with as those local businesses with equipment and contractors and employees that you have to manage. But let's get into some of the main differences I see because what we do at Land Investing Online, we buy market value or under market value properties and resell them for around market value. And it's extremely sustainable. But the main thing, like we we preach freedom, Ron. And I'm curious to I'm curious if we didn't grow up under a local service 
business if we would be doing that now? Because I always knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship, but if I didn't see the struggles of the local business, I'm curious to like, maybe I would have opened a local business. Maybe I will one day. I, I have no idea, but I'm just, I'm curious to see, like, if I feel like we saw it so close that we kind of knew to knew the struggles and didn't want to deal with all the headaches. Maybe I do see there's a lot of good things about it and there's still a lot more freedom than a nine to five job with it. But we preach the freedom land investing brings. And the number one thing, or one of the top things is remote. Local businesses are not remote. It'd be hard to manage a restaurant from California when it's in Ohio. Yeah. I think, uh, from that perspective, I could see myself and I've thought about it in the past getting into a local business or something like that or trying to grow a local business. And I think it's more so and you'll probably agree with this. It's like the challenge aspect. I know how the difference and the challenges, but I also know the rewards in terms of getting an asset from half a million dollars to being worth two million dollars isn't that much of a difference in sales um, or just it could just be some processes and stuff like that that really help you grow. Uh, but the challenge aspect is what I'm what really intrigues me, Daniel, with local businesses, with service-based businesses. Uh, I actually follow or someone that I talk to a decent amount on social media. I've never met him in person, but he just bought a lawn care business for ninety thousand dollars or something, and it's doing a hundred fifty thousand a year, and he's making like seventy grand on that or he'll profit like 70 grand on that his first year and he bought it for under a hundred grand. But what he did with that 70 grand, since the owner was doing everything, he just hired, he just paid a general manager. So he just hired an operator for $70,000. So he's not doing it all. He's not going to make much money right now as terms of profit, but he has the asset. He's going to have an operator. He's putting systems in place and he bought a business that's doing 150 to 200 grand a year uh, for under a hundred thousand dollars and it's profiting $70,000. So as far as your ROI or whatever, Daniel, when you're profiting 70 grand on a $90,000 purchase, I would, and he's doing it, it's all owner finance, seller financing as well. So he didn't put a dime down. Uh, so he's, he's profiting 70 grand on $0 put down. He invest, reinvested that 70 grand fully into a, an operator. What are your thoughts on that whole situation? I, I'm more intrigued in buying a business, to be 100% honest, buying a service-based business that probably isn't structured correctly that has errors in its processes or no processes. And then that's, that's what I'm interested in. But I, I think you can get really good deals like that. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure you can get a lot of good deals from buying a business that doesn't have much processes, especially that's owner operated, Ron, because when a business is owner operated, I feel like they're more desperate to sell because there's less buyers for someone going in, knowing they're going to have to Cut the grass, for instance. If that's the only person in the business and he's doing, you said, one hundred fifty to $200,000 of sales a year just from mowing grass and he's the only one doing it, the buyer has to figure that out. So there's just going to be less buyers in general, I feel like, Ron. But if it's me personally and starting a service business, I would probably want to start one from scratch myself. That's just my... I think I, I enjoy starting businesses from scratch. That's the most fun part for me, I think. And just kind of finding a niche in a market and then just dominating the market from scratch, I feel like. I don't wouldn't want to have to rebrand and do. I'd just rather start fresh personally. Really, I'm kind of surprised at that. I just think you can I think having having that book of business, I guess if you really enjoy that part of it, but I think the value in having that book of business already, ideally a good reputation. I'm not gonna buy a company with a poor reputation. 
but in a company that kind of aligns with me also with uh, what their reputation is. I think it's really important for me if I were to buy like a service-based business, but yeah, I just think that book of business makes the acceleration of kind of the asset so much more valuable. And I think those processes can, when you have that reputation, when you have that book of business, I think the processes, the systems, and then obviously getting the people, those are the three things you're going to have to do. I think that asset can two, three X extremely fast, but uh, I respect that a lot. If you want to start one of those from scratch, I, I don't think that's for me hundred percent, honestly. It's more of a grind starting from scratch for sure in terms of just like you're starting with nothing and you're going to like the growth is usually pretty slow. I've seen it multiple times. It just it's fun to watch the growth, though. But I do understand also the benefits of buying one. Like if I'm a if I'm a business like say Land Investing Online Run ended up buying another course similar to ours that's not in the land space to pivot into another industry like mobile homes or something. I would, I would love to buy a business like that because we're not mobile home experts, Ron. So for something like that, we can buy their expertise. I would, I would highly consider something like that over just buying a random business. I do want it to align with my other mission and values. I feel like just creating freedom in general. Um, that's where I'm at now. But so we talked about some of the main differences. And the first thing I said, Ron, was not being remote. Most businesses are not remote. It's hard. I mentioned how it's hard to run a restaurant from California when you live in or from in Cincinnati when you live in California. It is doable, but your businesses a lot of times struggle because of that when people try to do that. And it's a lot of time people with money do that. And the businesses will typically struggle a lot of times. You can do it, though. Number two, I just don't think most local businesses, Ron, have the freedom land investing can bring you financially. I mean, I feel like we can do $10 million in sales with less than 10 employees doing $10 million in sales for a service business. You're going to have, I mean, if you're a restaurant and you're doing 10 million in sales, you're going to have over a hundred employees. That's insane to think about. Yeah. And yeah, without a doubt, probably I'm, over 200. I think, yeah. I, I think 10 million, I think you can do more. If you're talking just sales, Dan, or are you talking about profit? I'm talking about sales. Yeah. I mean, we could easily, I think you and I could probably do five, six million, just you and I running a land flipping business ourselves. Uh, but 10 employees, like if you have systems process of that stuff in land, I think you can do 20, $30 million per, not easily because the systems and process are very important. They're not easy to get into place correctly and uh, having the right people as well, but 10 employees and you can easily do 20 to 30. I said easily again, uh, you can definitely do 20 to $30 million with land. And I think the, the one thing with land and we've talked about it quite a bit i think we had a entire podcast on it is how can we make this business sellable an asset and that's the one thing that land it hasn't been proven to this point it's been proven with house wholesaling and stuff like that people who have their processes down with that business and they sell for really really big multiples because they have the people in place they have the systems they have their marketing in place and how to acquire so those business can be sold that's the one thing that has not been proven in our market i do think there's definitely a future for it but that's the biggest difference in terms of a bad not bad thing uh yeah con i guess of land investing versus a service-based business definitely yeah i think most online businesses, you can sell at pretty high multiples, but just like Ron said, land investing is not proven yet. It's definitely going to get there, I would think, as long as you have processes and profit and everything that 
an owner would need, an investor would need to come in and make money. I feel like there's no reason it shouldn't be able to, but we have a whole nother episode on that. Like Ron said, the third thing is local labor is much, much more difficult than virtual labor, Ron, especially we're talking about our last episode was on virtual assistants overseas, but we also have local transaction coordinators. We have salespeople, we have due diligence and a project manager now. Um, it's just hard to find good local labor. I mean, especially if you're doing labor, tedious labor, like contracting type of stuff, those people can get, it can get pretty cutthroat from my understanding, Ron. And we've seen it firsthand growing up, like just understanding the struggles of local labor. It's always a pay challenge. Who can pay the most? People are bouncing back and forth though. I'm not saying there's no good ones. It's just hard to manage and maintain good employees. Yeah. And I think not having like, if it's that just like, and I've seen it with our family business, like not having a true, if you don't have a true operator who's actually got responsibility, when someone calls in sick, it's you, the owner, who's going to whatever, work on that roof, mow that lawn, uh, clean those carpets. And if it's like that, like it can just wear you down really, really fast, in my opinion, because People, I'm sure local labor calls in, I know local labor is going to, when they're, it's a service-based business, is going to call in sick a lot more than uh, whatever, a remote land investor, a remote salesperson, something like that. We are building a an office and a space in Cincinnati where we're going to have people working locally, but it's not the same as someone going to a completely hands-on job for eight hours a day if they just don't feel great or maybe they just don't want to go to work making that phone call. And you see that so much with uh, lower paid employees as well, where they just don't want to go to work and they call in sick, they whatever. And it can become a, a thing. And it's hard, like you, you fire someone and then it's really hard to replace them. Even if it's not the greatest result they're giving you, it's hard to fire people in those service local businesses, because especially right now, how hard it is to hire those. And you have to pay them a lot more than what you paid them a couple of years ago, 15 to $17 an hour, I would imagine, to get anyone that to do anything in that kind of business. Absolutely. Well, that's all I had. Those were the three main reasons, Ron. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think I think it kind of shows what land investing can be. The profit margins, all that stuff is, uh, we, we have extreme profit, great profit margins, obviously, but I think it kind of what land investing can give you versus maybe owning a local business. It gets pretty drastic, in my opinion. It is a lot of work building a land investing business. We're not going to say it's not, but it's very possible to build a $10 million business with a couple employees. Absolutely. Well, that's all, guys. Thank you for joining. To get started and to unlock your potential freedom, visit landinvestingonline.com. To join our free Discord, where Ron and I and other successful investors are in. Are in. Please like and subscribe to this YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you guys are listening on. It really means a lot. We'll see you next episode, and thank you for joining. Thanks, guys.